All right, confession time. How are you are glad there's only one week left of this series, so you only have to watch that video one more time, right? We've been in a series called Breathing Room, and we've been talking about this need we have in our life for some space. And we talked the first week about the fact that there is a limit to what we can do, to what we can spend, and to the relationships that we can have. And that all of us need some space, some space between our load and our limit. And that's been our working definition of what breathing room is over the last few weeks is it's that space, that margin between our load and our limit. And last week we talked about the breathing room we need in our schedule. That all of us have a certain amount of time. We have an allotment of time. We have a certain amount of time that we have been given on this earth and we have a certain amount of time that we are given in a week we have a certain amount of time that we're given in a lifetime and that we need to use it wisely we need to spend it wisely if you missed last week i urge you to go and and get online you go to our website and click there on the sermons page and you can watch last week's sermon because it really does set up this understanding that we live in a culture that encourages us to put more and more and more and more stuff in without taking anything out, and as a result, we end up with no breathing room in our schedule. And that's not healthy. It's stressful, it's chaotic, it's worrisome, and it's not a sustainable life. And so we talked about that last week. Well, this week we're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject, money. Now, if you're a guest and you walked into the church and you thought, see, they always talk about money. We don't. And we're not going to talk about it in a way that we normally kind of talk about it. Because in this sermon on money, I am not going to tell you anything we need from you. This is not a giving sermon. This is not a tithing sermon. This is not what you need to do for God and for the church and for the kingdom and all of that. We're not going to talk about that. What this sermon is about is what God intends for you. It's not about what he wants from you. It's about what he intends for you. Now, part of the reason is simply this. If I came in today and just started talking to you about what you needed to give and where you needed to do and how you needed to handle and where it needed to be and what you need to give to the church, what the Bible says and all of that, many of you in this room would feel really guilty about it, would walk out of here and you wouldn't have any way to do it because you haven't got the basic issue of of handling your finances down in the first place. And so it doesn't matter what you feel or think or want to do, you can't. It's one of those issues that hits us all because it is dear to our hearts. And today we're going to talk about the need for breathing room, for space in our finances. You've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke 16, we'll be there in a few minutes. And one of the things I want you to understand that is, that is different about what we talked about last week from this week is... Last week we talked about time, and and here's the thing. You can't get more time, right? If you're running out of time, you can't borrow more time. You can't get more than 24 hours in a day. But the subject we're going to talk about today, you can borrow money. If you don't handle your finances well, partly what you do is you go and you borrow some, and as a result, you end up with no margin at all. This is kind of the background of what I want us to understand. That your relationship with Jesus Christ and following Him will never be what it needs to be if you don't first have your financial house in order. Now, that's not me telling you that. 
Throughout the New Testament, Jesus tells people, if you don't have your money in order, you can't follow me. That's hard for us to hear because, well, mainly because we like our money and our stuff. And most of us think we're pretty good at handling it, and it's just the circumstances in our life that has prevented us from being able to do more. But the truth is, Scripture tells us over and over again that without that being kind of in order and having it established, you're not going to make it to the place where you can follow Jesus as passionately as you would like. Part of the confusion comes from this. And I want you to understand this from the very beginning. Today we're going to talk about a lot of stuff with, with money. But what I want you to understand from the very beginning of the, is this. That standard of living does not equal quality of life. Your standard of living does not equal your quality of life. Now, some of you may look at that immediately and goes, I, I, I agree, I understand that, I've learned that, I've known that, I've discovered that. Some of you think, well, okay, maybe that makes sense. But the truth is, from the earliest ages we can be, we believe that standard of living equals quality of life. More stuff means more happiness. Better stuff means better happiness. Now, I saw something this week that just reminded me that even the youngest among us understand this. And so I just want to make a disclaimer on the front end. The, the following advertisement is not an endorsement of any particular company. All right? You know those disclaimers people have to do. But watch what I saw this week that reminded me of this. How many of y'all have seen those commercials, right? Listen, I, we don't even have cable TV. We, we, we cut the cord uh, over a year ago, and we see those commercials everywhere, all right? It's true, we say, and here's the phrase they said at the, at the end. It's not complicated. Bigger is better. The way they're saying that is, it's not complicated. Standard of living equals quality of life. Now, that's advertiser's job, right? To make you think, if you just get this, a, a better house, a better car, a, a more expensive wardrobe, a, a better drink, a better energy drink, a better body, you get all this stuff, you just get that, you get a better standard of living, it will equal better quality of life. But we know that's not true. It is absolutely not true. And you know that. Some of you have experienced that. You've gotten more stuff and better stuff and a better place to live and a better car to drive. And instead of your quality of life improving, it has decreased. Instead of your marriage getting better, it's gotten worse. And the garage goes up on your brand new house that you love so much and that new car drives in that your husband's driving. You try to think of things you can do where you don't have to interact because it's not good. Just because we get bigger, better stuff doesn't mean our life gets bigger and better. And here's the question I have for you this morning. If there is a God, let's stipulate, if there's a God who cares about you, who loves you, what do you think He wants for you? A better standard of living or a better quality of life? Now, some people say, well, he, a better standard of living because then I could give more. I could help more people out. I could do more for him. Here's the thing I want you to realize. If you honestly believe that you can give anything to God that improves what he already has, then you have a misunderstanding of who God is. I'm not saying you don't give stuff. I'm just saying that if you think you making more money is going to improve God, 
That's a misunderstanding. You know this intuitively. Would you rather have a great marriage and live in an okay house or a great house, a terrible marriage with some really cool cars? Standard of living does not equal quality of life. And here's what I'm going to tell you. We're going to talk about breathing room and finance. Here's what I want you to understand. Creating breathing room financially may lower your standard of living, but raise your quality of life. Now, I know being an American and saying we're going to lower our standard of living sounds almost heretical. We don't do that. We're Americans, bigger, better, always. But the truth is, that doesn't always equate, and most of the time it doesn't, to quality of life going up. You see, there are three things I know about you, three things that I'm pretty confident in about you. And the first one is this, you live on a percentage of what you make, right? Now, I don't know what that percentage is, but it's some percentage you live on it. And my guess is you haven't even really thought about it unless you've been doing your finances lately. You're like, whoo, where did all that go? But it's some percentage you live on of your income. You don't think about it necessarily. You don't walk through your day thinking I'm living on 98.2% of my income or I'm living on 102% uh, 102% of my income or living at 84 or whatever it is. But you live on a percentage. Here's the second thing I know. You think if I had just a little bit more, I'd be fine. Right? If I had just a little bit more, I'd be all right. Just, Just a few extra hours. At work, a, a, a 1% pay raise. Um, if, I just, if, I, if I just had a few more clients, if I just had a little better business, if I just got that promotion, if I just had a little bit more, you would be fine. And here's the last thing I know about you. You thought the same thing when you made a lot less. There are some of you, if I told you 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you will be living in this kind of house, making this kind of money with this thing. You would be like, I will have it made. Because all I need is a little bit more. I don't need a lot more. And right now you're making a lot more and you're thinking all I need is a little bit more. Here's kind of the crazy thing about our finances. Most of us rise to the point of our income. Now, now I'm going to get really technologically savvy for a minute. And I'm going to show you some hand graphs. Do you know what hand graphs are? I'm going to make some graphs with my hands. All right? This is the latest technology right here. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Just follow with me, all right? If you are, let's just say your income over your lifetime kind of goes like this, okay? Now, that, you make that whatever it is. Hundreds of thousands, thousands, pennies, whatever it is, all right? The goal is, as your income does like this, your spending does like this. In this area in between, what do we call that? Breathing room. Thank you. First service just looked at me like, what in the world will we call it? Thank you. We've been talking about it for three weeks now. Chris Baga has been listening. Everybody say, good job, Chris. All right. So this is the breathing room, okay? That's what the goal is, right? You make this much, you spend this much. There's breathing room. Here's what most Americans do. They make this much. What does their spending do? Right there. I'm making more. I can spend more. Anybody see this week the story about the San Francisco 49ers coach and the pants he wears on the sideline? Where'd they come from? 
They were Walmart pleated khakis. And there was an outrage out there. And he said, I love them. And his wife said, I don't. So guess what? This week, he's not wearing Walmart pleated khakis anymore. He's raised his standard of living. Now, let's be honest. Jim Harbaugh is making 4 or $5 million a year. He can afford non-pleated khakis from somewhere beside Walmart, right? Most of us, we're living, we got to buy our stuff from Walmart. That's all we got. And then we move up, we go to the outlet store because we don't want to spend full retail. And then we make a little more money. And then we can go to the really good shops. And then we make a lot more money, we can, go, we can fly somewhere and go shopping. Right? Things get opened up to us and we begin to spend because we can. We got the money, we got the income, we got a raise. No, and let's just be honest, nobody gets a raise and go, Woo, some more money in that savings account. Now here's the problem with most Americans. Okay? It's not this, their income's going here and their spending's going here. It's not even this, their income's here and their spending's here. You know what's coming, right? Their income is here. What's their spending? And they don't have breathing room. They have gone under. The average American today, under the age of 50, spends about 103 to 105% of their income. Now, you don't have to be real good at math to realize that's more than they're making, right? Luke chapter 16. I'm going to tell you from the very beginning. We're going to read a parable today that I do not understand in the least. But it's going to take us to where we're going, all right? And so we're just going to agree. If you, This is not one of those either that after the service is over, I'm standing at the back and you come up and go, well, pastor, I know what it means. We're just going to pretend none of us know today, all right? Because some of you, I know some of you think, well, I know what this means. I'm going to go tell you what it means. No, we're going to... We're just going to go with the fact that none of us knows. All right, he says to the disciples, verse 1, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So you're a rich man, you got a guy squandering your possessions, what are you going to do to him? You're going to fire him, right? So he called him in and says, what is this I hear about me? Give me an account because you can no longer be my manager. So that's basically, you're getting fired. Now here's what the guy does. He says, I've got to do something about this. I, I, I can't beg, I can't go out there and find work, I'm not strong enough to dig. I've been, I've been in a white collar world, I can't go to blue collar work, I've got to figure something out. So he goes to the debtors and he goes to the people that owe his master money and he says, how much do you owe my master? This is before he's officially been let go. This is like during that two-week notice period, you know, you give your two-week notice and you, you, uh, you're supposed to be a lame duck, but he thinks I'm going to do some business. So he goes out to his partners or, or to the people that owe his master and he says, how much do you owe? And the, the first guy he goes to says, um, I owe 100 measures of oil. And the guy goes, here's what I want you to do. Just mark through 100 and write 50 and we'll call it even. And then he goes to another guy. He goes, how much do you owe? He goes, I owe 100. He goes, just do this. Mark through 100 and write 80. We'll call it even. Now, do you think the master would be happy about that? So why did he do it? So that when he's out of a job, those guys go, man, I remember that guy. He saved me 50 things. Oh, I like him. He might go to work for me. That's the kind of guy I like. He's creating a place where he can fall. The master, this is in verse 8, this is what I, I don't understand, okay? Praise the unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely. So he praised him for cheating him. For the sons of this age are more astute than the sons of light with their old people. And I tell you, this is what Jesus says that I don't understand. Make friends for yourself by means of the unrighteous money so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Verse 10 starts getting back on track for me. 
Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you've not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who'll trust you with the good stuff? If you've not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who's going to give you your own stuff? Verse 13. This is going to be on the screen because I want you to see it. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, now here's, here's what I want you to, to think about. Some of you know what's coming next. Just don't, don't go there yet, okay? You know this is true. Some of you have been at work. You've been in a work environment, and you've got two bosses that are telling you two different things. And it is impossible to make them both okay. Some of you grew up in families where you had two parents telling you two different things. Maybe that's just a a home that they stayed together even though they weren't very happy. Or that's a broken home where on weekends you were going to one place and there were one set of rules. You were going on the rest of the time to another place where there's another set of rules. And and maybe uh, the the mom was the real fun one, let you stay up all night and watch movies and, and eat whatever you wanted to. And the dad was the disciplinarian. And when you came to his house, it was health food and bedtime at 8.30. And you had to find a live in two different worlds. And it doesn't work. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but some of you are that way with your career and your family. and You're trying to figure out how to make your career the best it can possibly be and your family the best it can possibly be, and you can't serve both of those. It's just the reality. You can't serve two masters. And then Jesus says this. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what Jesus is saying. And and this goes in line with what he says throughout the rest of the New Testament. It's simply this. That when your life is consumed by the fact that money has a decision-making part of your life, you can't make decisions that glorify God and follow Him if you're having to make decisions based on what's happening with your money all the time. And can I tell you something? When you're like this and your spending's going here or even right here, you know who's making decisions for you? Your mortgage company, the bank, credit card bills. They're making the decisions on how to spend. Because if you don't spend the money that they need you to spend, guess what they do? They make the decision to take the house or to start garnishing wages. And what Jesus says is, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, now, if you're not, you're in the room today and you're not, listen, this is just kind of self-help stuff, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know that this is what the Bible says, that when you get upside down in your finances, you are no longer making decisions for yourself. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, it says this, it says that the borrower is a slave to the lender, that you have become a servant, and you have a master that is outside God. The point that Jesus is making in all of this is just to remind us that we think we're in control, but when we begin to spend in a way where we are under our finances, we can't live for both. When our financial world is in chaos, We can't follow the other commands of Jesus. For instance, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus says, don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, right. Don't worry. I I get worried every time I open the mailbox. When I open the mailbox and I see those 
long envelopes with the window address, my heart sinks. <laughs> Don't worry. I looked at my bank account last night and I got in my car today and it says you got 12 miles. And I got to put gas in and I don't know where it's coming from. Don't worry. Listen, we bought this house when my income was different and they've downsized at work. And we're about to lose it. We bought this house when I thought that my place at work was assured and that promotions were coming and steady raises were happening and that hadn't come. The economy hadn't done that. Don't worry. The New Testament is full of one another's. Love one another. Pray for one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Share one another's burdens. One another, one another, one another. Here's the truth. When you get upside down financially, you can't think about one another because you've got to think about us. Me. Surviving. And so what you used to use time for one another stuff is now picked up in a second job. Because you've got to pay for that somehow. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Here's the reality. When all this financial stuff is going on in your head, it is. We showed that video. We, we had the TV on. How many of you remember TVs like this? All of us admit us being old in here. All right, good. How many of you were the remote control for TVs like this? Dad would call you out of another room. What do you need? I need you to change the channel. That's what I need. How many of you were not only the remote control, you were the antenna operator that when you changed the channel, you then had to stand there and get it just right, right? We experienced a little bit of that. I told you a few minutes ago, we cut the cord um, uh, just looking at our financial stuff and what we were doing. We realized that we could save a lot of money and uh, a lot of ways if we cut the cord and did away with the cable, the, the satellite and all that. And so we did that about a year and a half ago. And one of the things, you know, people say, well, what about local channels? What about sports and all that? We bought one of those new high-powered digital antennas. And it, 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 I was back uh, like 30 years ago. I was standing on a chair trying to find where it was getting reception in my living room. Right? At first, I found just different places. And Susan finally said to me, Lyle, we can't have holes all over the wall. Find a place. All right? So you're doing that just right. Well, when we've got all this financial stuff going on and we're under it, it is clouding our memory and it's creating all this static where we can't receive what God's intending for us to do. It is the interference that bothers us. Jesus says, you can't serve them both. So here's what we're going to do. This is, we're going to do this and we're going to be done. I'm going to give you five things you need to do, all right? Five things. If you're under, if you're right on that line, here are five things you need to do. If this is not coming at you as somebody telling you, I got it all figured out, here's what you need to do. This is coming from somebody that's struggling with you right along with it. I'm just telling you, here are five things you need to do. First of all, you just need to decide to do something. Here's the reality. Most of us know what needs to be done. We just have to decide to do it. It's kind of like working out, right? How many of us really don't know how to work out? I mean, you take one foot and you put it in front of the other. And you do that for like 30 minutes without stopping. Now, I, I know that there are fancy ways to do it and P90 Infinity X12s, Okay. I'm talking about just basic exercise. It's not the question of whether we know how to do it. It's just doing it. 
deciding, discipline. I read someone this week that said this, that um, standard of living can be raised by debt, but quality of life can be raised only by discipline. And most of us like debt a whole lot more than discipline. You just got to decide. You got to say, I'm going to do this. The second thing is you need to set a goal and you need to set a breathing room goal. Okay, So you look at your finances and you look at what you're making and what you're spending and you say, this is what I wish it could be. I wish we could have this much breathing room. I wish we could have this much space in between what I'm spending and what I'm making. I wish we could do that. I don't know what that is for you. But what would make you feel good? And this is a place where you need, this is not a place that the, in a marriage relationship, men just say, this is not the place that the wife says, this is what we're going to have and this is our breathing room and I'm going to tell him and he's going to agree. This is a discussion. But it's a discussion that both of you need to have understanding each other's emotions because in general, the one who's okay with less breathing room needs to give width to the one that needs more. This is the third thing. After you decide, after you set a goal in breathing room, then you spy on your money. You watch it like a hawk. Some of you already do this already. You get an online program. You get Quicken or QuickBooks, which is for business kind of stuff. Or you get uh, Microsoft Money. I don't even know if they make that anymore, but they used to. All right, There are programs out there I don't know about your financial institution, and you watch and record and write down everything and where it goes and why it goes there. And at the end of the month, for two to three months, you watch it closely. Most of us don't realize what we're spending on what. We just don't understand it. And when you get to the end of that two or three months, then you need to do this. You need to cut spending. A novel concept. Right? You can do one or two things. You can either cut spending or you can raise the debt ceiling. Exactly right. No, that's not a political statement. I'm, we can't raise our debt ceiling, right? You can raise your income, but how many of you really have the power to raise your income tomorrow? Why don't you try that? Go talk to your boss. You may be back looking at different incomes, right? You cut spending, and then you get on a plan to reduce that debt. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. I've got a three-step plan for you to reduce the debt. I've got it right here. It is official. It's on a torn piece of paper, all right? This is my official way for you. I'm not a financial advisor, so don't take it that. First of all, go to the bookstore and buy a book called Financial Peace Revisited by Dave Ramsey. Start doing something. And it comes back to simply this. You have to get to the place before you can do any of that where you are content with what the Lord intends for you to have. Because the Lord's intention is not this. Paul says, I've learned to be content in every situation, whether I have a lot or I have nothing. And you have to come to the place where you say to yourself, no matter what the world teaches, I'm not going to say that standard of living equals quality of life. And I'm going to begin to live the life that God intends for me. But you got to decide. Some of you are going to walk out of the room today and you're going to live just like you've been living without trying to even think about creating breathing room. I don't pretend to think there aren't difficult decisions in the midst of that. There are. They're not easy. But if you want to live, Scripture teaches us, passionately devoted to Jesus Christ. If you want your life 
to have quality and to be all that it can be, then you don't have a choice but to begin to live this way. Let's pray together.